Our passage this morning comes from the epistle, 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hear your word clearly this morning. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room be holy and pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. I've got a confession to make. I've got to tell you something. This is something that if uh, many, many preachers are probably going to call me a snitch. I'm going to share with you some information that, that preachers and pastors will do anything they can to keep you from knowing it. In fact, it's so daunting, it's so horrible to hear to their ears that they often don't even believe it themselves. Do you want to know what my confession is? Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear my confession? All right, I'll tell you. I'll confess. In one hour, only one hour, human beings psychologically forget 50% of new information that comes through their ears or through their eyes or their senses. That means, friends, that when we are done here this morning, when I am finished with this sermon, that when you get home and you eat your lunch and you lay down for your Sunday afternoon cat nap, which I am so looking forward to, by the way, you will have forgotten over half of my sermon. And this happens weekly. And not, not only that, but tomorrow at this same time, statistically speaking, you will have forgotten 70% of what I'm about to say. 70%. And this time next week, statistically speaking, you will have forgotten 90% of the sermon. That is a preacher's nightmare, right? Spend hours and hours preparing something that 90% of it is going to just flutter away. So I confess to you this morning that we as human beings are forgetful. That we, we have a tendency to forget things like me yesterday. I've got my mind on preparing this sermon. I've got all of these uh, things happening in my mind. Life is kind of crazy right now, and I'm unloading the groceries with Cass, and I finish unloading the LaCroix uh, pallet thing from the back of the car, and I set it down, and I hit the garage door, and I forget that I left the hatch open. And what do you know, if you saw my post on Facebook, that hatch 
got caught by the garage door on the way down, and now I've got this like three-inch long gash in the back of my car. You see, we as human beings, we're forgetful, right? And that stinks. It, and if you have any advice, please feel free to message me because um, I need all of the help I can get on fixing that. We as human beings are forgetful. And our passage this morning was written to a group of people, a church that was forgetful as well. You see, time had passed when First John was written. First uh, John was written after the Gospel of John. And, and it is in 1 John, decades after the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, the church in that time had been going through trials and, and had been going through persecution, had, had been, uh, many of people of the church had been executed, and, and at that time had become social outcasts, and there were heresies, and there were philosophies that were infiltrating the church in trying to draw the people of God away from the truth of the gospel. We are a forgetful people. These philosophers and heretics claimed that, that Jesus could never have been a real human man because humanity does not mix with divinity. The church had forgotten. The church was divided. These false teachers used their teachings to disrupt and to divide the church, saying that everything the, ch the church thought that they knew was a lie and that lo and behold, all they've got to do is give over their life and their money and their wealth to, to these philosophers, these heretics, and they would tell you the truth, the real truth. These teachers and heretics tried their very best in the midst of a tumultuous time, in the midst of the persecution of the church in, in the first century, to try to rip apart the fabric of the church. They tried to create schism and divide for the sake of gaining power. The church First John addresses is this church. In this situation, facing these teachers, facing uh, the, the storms and, and trials of their day. They were facing the loss of truth, the truth of the gospel. There was nothing to hold on to. It was like they were like a, a ship that was adrift at sea with no motor and, a, and tattered sails. Nothing anchoring them to the truth of the gospel. Have you ever felt like that? Do you feel this way right now? First John shows us what to do in this situation. Shows us it begins by telling us, by calling us to recall, calling us to remember that which we knew before. You see, the, the prologue, the very beginning, our passage today of 1 John echoes the four verses of the first four verses of the Gospel of John. See, 1 John starts like this: that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our eyes. Or heard, which we have heard and seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And the Gospel of John starts very similarly. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. You see, 1 John begins by calling the church to remember. In the midst of their hard times, in the midst of the schism of their day, to remember. To remember the good news that they were taught. To remember that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. To remember and be rooted in the life of Christ. 1 John reminds us of the reality of God's, of Jesus' humanity. The author says, and, and listen to the language here, it's so visceral, it's so tangible, it's talking about, it's using the language of the human senses. The author says, we have heard with our ears, we have seen him with our eyes, and we have touched him with our hands. Jesus, the word of life, was real. That means that when Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come into this world, to put on flesh, and he became a human baby boy in a barn. He humbled himself to that form. It means that that when when they arrested and, and beat Jesus within an inch of his life, that he did that, he endured that, he bore that pain for you. And when they shoved that crown of thorns on his head and blood ran down his face, that, that he did so, he bore that humiliation for you. When Jesus walked the long and shameful walk to Golgotha, bearing on his back the very device of his own torture and execution, every step he took, he took for you. Jesus' body, his humanity matters. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, they put nails in his palms and his feet, nailed him to the cross until he hung and breathed his last. He breathed that last breath for you. And when they rolled that stone away, when they looked into that tomb and Jesus' body was gone, Jesus rose again for you. Jesus' humanity matters. Because in the body and life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we see the lengths that God is willing to go for us. This is what 1 John is calling this church to remember, that, that when you have all of this stuff happening around you, when the storm is raging, remember what is true. Remember that God loves you so much that Jesus, in his body, his actual body, that he became one of you and he died a brutal death for you. God loves you. You see, life isn't found in the musing of philosophers or the the promises of politicians. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And so 1 John calls us to be like a tree, rooted in the life, rooted in the soil, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The saying goes, If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it or see it, 
Does it make a sound? What do you think? Does it make a sound? Yes or no? Raise of hand. Who thinks that tree makes a sound? Who thinks the tree doesn't make a sound? Ooh, the select few. I like you guys. Awesome. Brave. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, there was, uh, there was a, a thing that my family, a tradition that we always did. I've talked about this before, but, but our vacations, uh, my dad was a pastor. We didn't have a ton of money. And so our, what we would do, would, we would go backpacking as a family. It was cheap. It was fun. It was great. It was experiential. And we would go backpacking as a family together. Here's a picture of me and my sisters in the middle of this, miles deep into the, the wilderness, probably at around 9,000 feet elevation in this beautiful meadow um, in, in the mountains in Colorado. And here's a picture of me winter backpacking with my dad. And you can see these massive trees that, were, that made up this forest, these evergreen trees uh, that were everywhere, these blue spruce, these Douglas fir, these ponderosa pine. And there was this uh, one trail that we as a family and me individually as well would, would uh, travel all the time. I would fly fish up and down this, this stream and I would always end up in this same meadow, this giant field, about a football field long. We can roll back actually, I'm not ready for that image yet. And, uh, and, and after a while I would see this, this giant field and in the middle of this field once stood a great tree. This one great tree had no competition, this evergreen tree. I don't know if it was a spruce, a fir, or a ponderosa pine, but it, uh, it had no competition for resources. It was right there in the middle of the meadow. There were no trees around it. There was nothing to compete for the nutrients in the soil or the, the photosynthesis that was happening with, uh, with the sunlight in, in the sky. There was no canopy that that tree had to fight against in order to, to get some bits of sunlight and to grow big and strong. That great tree grew all alone and it grew big yet it was the same strength this being isolated in the middle of this meadow that that led to its downfall you see this tree this tree had no competition for nutrients but because there were no other trees around it, there were no other roots in the soil, there was nothing to, when the rain came and started washing soil away from the roots of the great tree, there was nothing to hold that soil down. When the, when the winds would come, there, was, there were no trees around this tree to break the wind for it. And eventually there, was, there, there were no trees around the great tree to keep it. As the wind blew one night, wind blew hard and the rain came in. All of these things happened all at once. There was nothing, there were no roots around to hold that tree in place as the wind blew the great tree down. It's tragedy that this great tree had nothing around it to hold it in place. So when I would be fly fishing or hiking, I would look at this tree and I would think about these things and then I would look past the tree and I would see a different kind of tree, a different variety of tree that was ringing the meadow. And those of you who've gone to Colorado, who've lived in Colorado can attest to this. There is this one tree that is very unique. In the midst of all of these evergreen trees, there is an aspen grove. This is what an aspen tree looks like. 
It's got those, those, those little stumps, things on its bark that, make, that look like human eyeballs. It's, it, whenever it has leaves on, on it, it, the leaves look like they're clapping. It is a beautiful, wonderful tree. It's got all of these unique features. And most, inf- most importantly, this aspen tree never grows alone. You see, an aspen tree, it, what you see, what we see there in the tree itself is not really the, the organism. The organism of the, ap- the aspen tree is what is happening underneath the soil. The root system that make up the aspen tree is actually the organism here. And so what we see poking up above the ground is really a manifestation of all the work that is happening underneath the soil. These roots that are growing, connected and interconnected, holding one another in place and holding the soil down. These trees, they don't grow big, too big. They don't grow too wide, but they grow together. And so when that same torrential uh, rainfall came, that same storm came for the great tree, that same rain and that same wind came for these aspen trees. When the, when the, when the rain came and this bat, the, 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 the soil was threatened to be washed away, the basket weaving of roots held the soil in place. And when that wind came trying to rip one of these aspen trees up out of the ground and push it over, it was the roots of the trees around it that held it in place. Friends, We're called to be like the aspen tree. The church is not a human organization, but rather a divine organism. We are designed to be rooted in the life of Christ and held together by the roots of our sisters and brothers in community. This is the joy of fellowship, Christian fellowship that First John is talking about, that he's getting at. That as we have fellowship with God, as we root ourselves in the soil, in the life of Christ, and have fellowship with one another, then our joy will be complete. As we are rooted in Christ, as I am and you are and we are together, then we will stand firm when the storm comes. We will be ready ready for the reign of philosophies and false theologies that that seek to erode our relationship with Christ. We'll be ready for the forces that seek to shake the very ground that we stand on, questioning our reality and calling us and trying to get us to abandon our hold on the love of God. We will be ready for the winds of change that seek to uproot us from the life-giving soil of the never-changing God. Together we stand like the aspen tree. But surely, if we are divided, if we are isolated, we will fall like the great tree. Um, After I graduated college, I moved by myself into a city. I was not a city guy at that point in time, and I was a small-town guy, and I moved to Houston, and, and I started ministry in a church uh, that I had never been to before, and I, and I uh, w- was a non-Spanish speaker in a Spanish-speaking congregation, and I, uh, uh, there were so many things happening for me, uh, so many challenges uh, that I began to endure 
challenges to my faith. I started asking questions like, you know, all of these, these things that I thought I knew about God that I grew up in Sunday school hearing about and I, I learned in youth group, those things started to be challenged by, the, by what I saw on, uh, what I read in, in, in books or what I saw on television. And then uh, these, these, these uh, I, I saw Christians hurting other Christians in the church and that, that was causing me to question my faith because faith wasn't making as much sense to me. And eventually I was also uh, physically in turmoil because I, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer at the age of 22. I didn't know what in the world was happening. I was confused. I, I didn't know what faith meant in the midst of this moment, as the midst of things being deconstructed, in the midst of, uh, of my, all of my, my thoughts, my theology being challenged and seeing people I loved hurting other people I loved and divide and schism happening within the church and my body failing me. The winds of life were just about to push me over but then, by the grace of God, the roots of my friends and my family held me in place. I was lucky to be rooted in Christ in an aspen grove. I was lucky. My friends would come with me to doctor's appointments. My family would pray for me and would call me and encourage me. And in the midst of it all, uh, as I, even as I cried, my friends were there to hold me firm, and they were also there to celebrate with me as I was declared cancer-free. You see, this picture here, this next picture, is a picture of me on a frozen, uh, on a frozen river in the middle of Colorado, and this, this picture means a lot to me because the person behind the lens is my dad. My dad, who took me out on this trip as a celebration of beating cancer. And so as I stood here on this river, I'm reminded of my community. I'm reminded of the roots that held me in place when my life was falling apart. We as Christians, we're not meant for isolation. We're not meant to be like that great tree to grow taller and stronger and, and bigger and larger than all the rest. We are not designed or, or destined for extreme or radical individualism. We are, not, uh, we are not called to these things. That might be fun for a little while, but in the end, that rain's going to come. And that wind's going to be strong enough. And it will blow us down. Instead, friends, we are destined for community. We are, we are called to be rooted in the life of Christ and connected in this soil together. We as the church are like the aspen tree. Many trees that make up one divine organism. It is in this paradox of diverse, uh, diverse people unified in the life and the love of God the joy is made complete, as First John says, that the fullness of joy is found. 
I began the sermon with a confession that we will soon forget this sermon. And I embrace that. But the, the brutal uh, facts of science and psychology still, uh, they lead us to some hope as well. There are these things that we can use called mnemonic devices. Uh, things like uh, as, uh, attaching meaning to song or, or image or, or story or anything like that. It's like singing the ABCs or using flashcards, right? And so this morning is my prayer that we, as the body of Christ, remember by remembering the aspen tree. Use that as the mnemonic device to hold on to. Use that to remember, to join together with the community of faith, centuries, centuries long, and remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and remembering to be rooted in the life of Christ together, intertwined, interconnected, so that when that storm comes, someone will be there to hold you firm. Let's pray. God of life, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are in awe of your great love for us, that you would become one of us and suffer with us. When life gets difficult, help us to cling to you. Help us to love one another, unified in the love we share with you, Jesus. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. And help us to grow together. Hold us firm. Give us what we need to grow. And may we glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.